Welcome to Transform and Thrive. Your host, Helen Lee, examines the opportunities and practical solutions for individuals and organizations to transform and thrive in these times. She shares her wisdom and that of other changemakers impacting our world. Tune in for innovative and holistic tools and empowering strategies to reinvent yourself and or your organization and flourish in a world facing different crises. Hi, this is Helen Lee. Welcome to Transform and Thrive. I interviewed the world thought leader, Dr. John Gray, around this time last year. And because of what is occurring right now, I feel his highly valuable and unique wisdom would be most useful for many and well worth resharing at this point. All of humanity will be going through a massive spiritual awakening in the next 10 to 20 years, and a large part of this incredible process involves the shedding of our past. I see this happening all around me as the extreme amount of mega-high frequencies currently flooding our planet pushes out all that is heavy and dense from within us. This density is a pile-up of the old programs and paradigms, upmoded thinking and lower vibrational emotions leaving us. We all come from trauma, as John points out in this episode. And the good news, my dear friends, is that this is a trauma that I see and feel leaving us in a big way right now. John and I also discussed the intelligence that we need to go beyond it. Back in 2011, I started advocating the idea that a new model of human intelligence must be utilized in our lives. And so we talked about the intelligence that we need to develop in order to thrive. This includes spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, and gender and relationship intelligence, which was discussed in some detail in this riveting hour and a half interview with the internationally famous American relationship expert, best known for his book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Enjoy listening, make full use of the wisdom, and tune into the second part of this interview in the next episode as well. Also, check out all the other 60 over episodes in this podcast filled with information to support you to transform and thrive greatly at this time. I have here a super, super special guest, Dr. John Gray, uh, who really needs no introduction. Most people the world over know him as the author of the all-time favorite relationship book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And uh, USA Today even listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century. In hardcover, it was the number one best-selling book of the 1990s, translated into about 45 languages in more than 100 countries. Isn't that amazing? Dr. Gray's book continues to be a bestseller. He has written more than 20 books in the meantime, and the most recent is Beyond Mars and Venus, Relationship Skills for a Complex Modern World. I'm very, very honored to have him here especially as he's even repeatedly appeared on Oprah, The Dr. Oz Show, 
CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, and many other programs. He was also featured in Time, Forbes, USA Today, and People, and was on a three-hour special hosted by Barbara Walters. Wow, John, you, you must have heard this. You've had several interviews. You must have heard this <laughs> read yes. several times today. It's not. I, I thought you were going to say it's John Gray. He wrote Minute from Mars. He needs no. It, it, he needs no action and stop there. <laughs> I don't even usually read this out for anyone, you know, but yours is so special. I'm obliged to read it out. (laughs) Thank thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I also uh, did a little bit of research before this interview, and I understand that your Christian parents taught you yoga and took you to visit um, Paramahansa Yogananda when you were a kid. It, was this in the 60s? 50s. It 50s. was 50s. They drove across America from Texas to uh, California uh, to his ashram to have me be blessed as a baby. And uh, they just loved Yogananda. It was one of the first books I read about spirituality other than Christianity. And it really was so exciting for me. I was very, very uh, grateful for that man. Amazing. I mean, because he's one of the the you know, major spiritual gurus, you know, and he's quite, he's really very special himself. Very special, very special. So, so it makes you special too, because I think as a child, you know, receiving that kind of uh, input, you, you would have a role also to play. And I think you have played it, right? Mm. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, it definitely opened me up to many truths in the world and very appreciative of the different systems including my own Christian religion, but the also Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, the Muslim religion. I studied Muslim religion when I was in Egypt. I traveled the world and I want to know what people think is good and and find my own truth that resonates or doesn't resonate. And what is your truth today? Well, the world is going in the wrong direction. That's very clear. You always know your thinking is in the wrong direction when you're suffering. And, you know, Helen, as a great healer that you are, you're talking about being an empath and learning how to feel what other people feel without taking it in. And so many women are naturally this way, and they're much more uh, affected by the world than many men. But men can be empaths, too. I'm an empath as well. And I had to learn not to absorb other people's negativity. By feeling empathy. And I just like to make this distinction and that when you feel empathy for someone, there's two ways to feel it. One is feeling sorry for them. Mm. And another is not feeling sorry for them. Mm. Mm. I cannot feel people sorry for people's pain. I, I validate pain. I understand. I've had so much pain in my life. I can relate to other people's pain. But I don't feel sorry for them because I know in my own life, my growth has always come from my pain. You see, whenever you're in pain, anybody's in pain, their thinking is in the wrong direction. And what's going on in the world is the thinking is in the wrong direction. So people are experiencing more pain and more uh, addiction to avoid their pain. So what we have is a society of addiction, either addicted to pleasurable things, stimulating things, or what many women don't understand, they're highly vulnerable to being addicted to complaining. 
If you complain a lot, you look at an MRI scan where you can see brain activity and you'll see almost the same activity as if they were taking cocaine. Negativity is addictive. And our brain is designed to see negativity, but also to be optimistic at the same time. You have to use both the left and right hemispheres of the brain simultaneously to be in reality. The world is filled with problems. So there's negativity and darkness, but at the same time to see the light and to see how to solve those problems. And, you know, I love your, your title of your show, which is transform and thrive. Um, Part of what was missing a long time ago, for example, in Christianity is when Jesus spoke, he said, I talk to you in stories, parables, because you cannot understand the truth. People just were not yet able to be logical enough to understand salvation, freedom, love, and all these things. You need logic. And the logic is, if you're upset about something, why? It's your thinking. It's what you're thinking about the situation. We talk ourselves into our suffering. And as an empath, since you are an empath, and I just want to, many of your people listen to you and you're helping them as well, is what you're thinking when you absorb someone's stress is to a certain extent, you're feeling sorry for them and you want to help them. Yeah. Now, I feel, I feel empathy for people and want to help them. I never feel sorry for them. I had to learn. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I don't take on their problems, you know, don't feel, when you feel sorry for someone, you're taking in their suffering and relieving, they'll feel better. Some people, some people will feel like, no, don't feel sorry for me because they don't want that. That just makes them more of a victim, but we have to learn how to validate our feelings. That means what is the feeling inside? Look for it. If you're not, if you're stressed, you're unhappy, or you have an addiction, or you're on, you, you feel someone is keeping you from being happy. Something is keeping you from being happy. That's the thinking of a monkey, which is that my happiness comes when I get what I want. And when I don't get what I want, I'm unhappy. Now, in, in, you know, in child development, we know some children are born with the ability to delay gratification. Other children just must have it now. And that ability to want something and be patient and still be happy, even without getting what you want, but being on the way to getting what you want. That's true happiness, not depending on getting things to be happy. That's short term. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, make my Amazon package come <laughs> for the first, fifth, first few months of it during the COVID time. Oh, I got a present. Oh, I got a present. Yeah, not so happy anymore. You know, this is fulfillment of desire is always temporary. But the journey of, of having a desire, the process of getting what you want uh, without doubting yourself and doubting the process or demanding that you have that thing right now, or otherwise you can't be happy. That's something we have control over. I can't control the outer world and I can't change other people. I can give them my information that I've changed me, but, and I'm not attached to that either. If I'm attached to that, that's an outcome of attachment and, and Buddhism, you know, don't be, it's not that you don't give up desire. It's misinterpreted quite often is give up your attachment to what you want. You know, desire is the, is the journey of life. You know, it motivates us. You know, when I was a monk, my desire was to know God. My desire was to be a good person, to be the best I can be as a loving person, as a spiritual person. And that's a good desire. And once I achieved that, I found my, my spirit, my soul. Then my desire was to bring love into the world. Hold on, and you will monk? I was a celibate monk when I was with the Maharishi of Transcendental Meditation. I found my guru, like Yogananda, one of the other 
most influential gurus on the planet was after Yogananda, Maharishi came and introduced the whole idea of meditation. It's easy. People can do that. And we had, oh, I was his personal assistant. I taught his teacher training program to teach thousands of, of TM teachers. And it's a simple technique that wow. helped dramatically affect people in a positive way. And he was the one who, it was right around that time where they're doing brain research. So we did the first brain research on how your brain can change states through even in five minutes, 10 minutes and a meditation. And then, then I excelled. I was his best student. He had posters of me that had my brain function. I would meditate. I could meditate for 10 hours effortlessly. Most, most, when I went into retreat, I would meditate 10 to fit, 10 to 18 hours. Um, even still, I do that from time to time. I just did something in, in Taoism. I'm also a student of Taoism. Wow. I do uh, Bigu. I just did uh, this year. I do something big every year. This year, I did the Bigu, where you go seven days without light, talking, or food. Just uh, I had a cup of coffee every day and a, and, a, and a water, and that was it. No interaction with anybody, just meditating or sleeping. So amazing. When you have a skill, now I've developed a skill. Not everybody can do that. You know, I can't throw a basketball in the hoop every time. You know, we, we develop our skills. I'm not a good cook either. And I certainly can't sing. So everybody's got their talents. My talent was clearly uh, master my spirituality and bring that out to the world. And bringing spirituality into the world one way is creating more love. Now, now, so I, seeing now I really understand why I enjoyed listening to you know, all the, the, your videos and interviews, because you, I found it really substantial. And you've, what you've managed to do is take all that foundational wisdom and translate it, you know, with, in a way that can reach, you know, the masses, right? Like yeah. you've injected the science and the practicality of it to the everyday person, you know? So that's my goal. That's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> salute you <laughs> thank you i know you do i appreciate that so much you know we're, we're I, somebody interviewed me the other day and they asked me what is it to be human and so what popped out is to be human is to make mistakes to be divine is to learn from those mistakes mm -hmm. and to be animal is to blame others for your mistakes <laughs> so and you all human we make mistakes okay but we have to look at those mistakes forgive ourselves forgive others and take responsibility to grow from them and, and not only from mistakes, but to, to be human is one of Buddha's teaching is to suffer. And, and then to look, recognize the first noble truth was life is suffering. Then the second one is learning the cause of our suffering, which is clearly our behaviors and our thinking, not other people. It's what we do to ourselves. That's the, the cause of our thinking. When you're blaming other people for your suffering, you're not recognizing the true cause of your suffering. It's what you bring to the table that makes you feel good or makes you feel bad. It's you. So that's sort of growing up to understanding the cause of suffering. And when you understand that, then you can learn the third noble truth was the relief of suffering. And the relief from suffering comes when you turn your suffering into pain. Because when you see suffering is enduring, what we do when we suffer is we resist it and resist it. But when you realize that you're in charge of your suffering, it's your thinking, then you can feel, oh, it's just my pain. I can when suffering, when we suffer, we're constantly resisting it. But if I'm recognizing I'm doing it to myself, then I can change. So if I can change the cause from you to me, then I can let it go. And that's the release. And then once you, that's the fourth 
noble thing is you can sustain freedom from suffering. And to a great extent, I never suffer. I feel pain a lot. Uh, I can think about my wife died four years ago. I, for about two years, I felt totally broken and, and wanted to die. You know, went into human pain. You know, I'm human and never, that was the biggest challenge. But see, I'm pretty expert at death. Uh, my brother committed suicide, my dear brother. Um, my father was murdered, found in the dead of his trunk. You know, all these terrible things. My mother died by an accident uh, in, in the medical system, you know, so, uh, and car accidents and family members. And, you know, I've been to, Bonnie and I used to laugh because every year of our marriage for the first 12 years, we were at a funeral. <laughs> her father <laughs> he died of a brain aneurysm at 55, you know, his, her brother died in a, a car accident this life is filled with suffering and so that but when you learn to feel it and then feel the emotions and the pain then your brain says oh i'm causing that let me change my thinking and it will automatically do it if you have wisdom so we grow in wisdom each time but even that my wife dying of cancer watching her go from a vibrant woman at 68 years old and having her body just shrink down in nine months it was so traumatic for me and it's taken me years, but I'm, I'm over it majorly. Uh, but I'm grateful that I have the ability to heal that wound, that the loss, see a loss of, of you know, we're going to grow old together. We have a beautiful life. We have four grandchildren, you know, we're at that time of life. That, and I was still very successful. So everything was going for us and then boom, some kind of genetic thing she had. And then misdiagnosis of doctors said uh, mistreatment of doctors, in my opinion. And, you know, but I watched it. We loved each other through it and we grew emotionally, no doubt about it. And then afterwards, because I have the emotional intelligence, what I write about in my book, how to process emotions. So very, very important. And also for an empath, they will take on without knowing the emotion, the painful emotions of others and as if their own. And so what they have to do is realize that those emotions that they picked up even though they're an empath, they wouldn't have picked it up if it wasn't something from one of your parents when you were growing up mm. that we picked up from our parents. That's where we learned to pick it up. Now, not, not all children are born being able to pick it up as much, but anything that goes on inside of me, I can easily go. And this is years of processing. So it rarely happens for me, but it's always some childhood trauma that causes me to react now in a negative way, even for a few minutes. It's something in my past. And and then when you think, okay, what's that related to my past? If you can't find it, it's always inside of your mother or your father. <laughs> we carry the sins of our parents, so to speak. The old saying, the American Indians say, you know, you, you carry the, the, the suffering of your parents for nine generations. Uh, and now we have science saying that for seven generations, your DNA that you pick up as a child will stay. So let's say you're traumatic and they only do this with animals because they can see a whole lifetime, but they do like little birds, for example, and they traumatize a, a little bird so that like a man with a brown hat traumatizes the bird. Okay, that's done. And then that little bird grows up and becomes an adult and has little babies. They take those little babies and they have a man come in with food with a brown hat and they run away. They cry out. So the, the, the trauma and the DNA of the mother goes into the child for seven generations. So you come in with food, you're completely positive. The child never had a negative experience of a brown hat. They're still going to react with fear. And yeah. that's, yeah. it takes generations to heal. Yeah. So yeah. that's inevitable. We all come from trauma. There's no question about it. 
you know, what was normal, even if you came from what was normal in the past, it would be traumatic today because we have so much more wisdom. We deserve so much more. We know that, you know, if you beat somebody down who, who already feels like they're not good enough, they accept it. You know, some people want to be punished. I was so bad. You should punish me. You know, the, uh, a simple example of that is I grew up in Houston, Texas, and Texas was pretty much like the rest of the country, just maybe a little bit more tough and six boys. And we were unruly. Mom's going to say, I'm going to tell your dad. And, and we would stop because if, if we didn't stop or we did something to bother her, not cooperative, not supportive, I'm going to tell your father and father would come home. He'd say, bend over and take out a whip, his belt and you get whipped. And that was, uh, that was normal then. They still do it in the schools in Texas. It's crazy, but accept it as normal. Today, we don't do that. Our wisdom says that's not good for children. So you shouldn't do that. You have, then you have to find a new way to do it. And what a lot of parents do is they just spoil their kids. You know, when child's crying, I want more ice cream. You should listen to me as punish them for whining and crying. Or you say, I, I want more ice cream. Well, you can't have ice cream. It's not good for you. And then the child cries and then... And, and then the parent says, okay, I'll give you ice cream. So you see, children have to learn that when they're emotionally upset, it's because they're not getting what they want and they want it now. And what frees them from the attachment to, I have to have it now is to be able to talk about the emotions. So if a child can talk about their emotions and a parent knows how to process their emotions, like if my daughter wants ice cream when she's a little kid, we had ice cream, but not every day. Yeah. She sees other kids with ice cream. She goes, why don't I get it? And cries. And I say, I understand you're angry about this. You're not getting ice cream. And they go, yeah. And then I say, and I'm not giving you ice cream. What? And then they feel so, they cry some more. And I say, oh, you're so disappointed. I know you feel sad, don't you? And she's, yes, daddy, I feel so sad. And then I say, oh, I understand that. But, you know, we're having a party next this weekend. We're going to have ice cream then. No, 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 I'll never have ice cream. I said, I know you're afraid. You're scared that you're never going to have ice cream again. She goes, yes, I'll never get ice cream again. See, children live in a different world. The emotions live in the world. If I can't have it now, I'll never have it. Anytime somebody's angry, they're always disappointed and sad. Anytime somebody's disappointed and sad, they're always afraid it's not going to get better. And that's the reality. That's called emotional intelligence is to know whatever you're feeling, there's other feelings inside as well. And when you can become conscious of your reactions to things and where they're coming from, and for a child, they just know that these, they have to first identify the emotions and then have a parent give them comforting advice. Because if you say, no, you know, when she was angry, I said, oh, we'll have it this weekend. She'd go right into, no, 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 we won't. Yes, you will. Yes, you should listen to me. No, you just let them... There's a venting process, a clarification, and parents don't know how to do this. I don't want any parents to feel bad about this. I teach parents how to do this in my book, Children from Heaven, but you can't really do it for your children until you can do it for yourself. Because anytime you're upset in life, you're a child, you're a little monkey, basically, and you need to parent yourself. We need to give ourselves what we didn't get in our childhood. You, and then when you really go, go ahead, go ahead. Do you think as a human race, what we need to do is actually grow up? Right. Absolutely. We're all a bunch of children. War yeah. is just a bunch of children and yeah. a bunch of people making money off of war. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into politics. It separates, but it basically all hostility in a man is female hormones. Most people don't realize that. Uh, basically, we have a male and a female side. And when the male feels weak, the female side increases. Translate that into biology. When men's testosterone levels go down because they don't have confidence. See, when you have confidence, 
then your estrogen levels can rise to a healthy level and you can be compassionate and supportive and problem solving. Let's solve this problem with caring and win-win and, and warmth and wisdom. That's when you have kind of balanced masculine female energies inside of you. And today children are born with more masculine feminine energy. I think there's been an evolutionary shift as you, you I'm sure you're feeling in your meditations. They're just so powerful. It's so profound now. Uh, the consciousness of the planet has elevated. And what that means in terms of elevated consciousness is that women can feel more of their masculine power and men can feel more of their feminine power. They can be more loving. Like in the 60s, when it all kind of started, at least in my life, after World War II, everybody felt safe. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars. And so uh, basically women felt safe and then they realized I want more than just being the standard housewife. I want to be free, particularly that movement started when women felt abused in relationships. Now, abuse has always been there in relationships, but a tiny part of it, very small percent, as there have been abuse in relationships. But when we kind of outgrew that, women felt like, you know, I want more freedom. Then men would push against that. That's where the abuse started coming is we couldn't handle the change. And then as women say, well, we don't care what men think, we're gonna go out there because the safety of ending that war created safety for women to be on both sides. And in America, which sort of led the way with that, uh, it was during the war, women, the men were at war. So the women went into the jobs and the powers that be said, oh, well, we can get women working too here. <laughs> and the women are like, yeah, I want to get out of this marriage because I make my own money and not depend on a man. So that was progress. But as women go to their male side, which is wonderful and feel more independent, not so dependent on men, their female energy weakens. Mm, yeah. See, what we have is a crisis of women overeating, for example. Well, when you overeat, you make female hormones. Anytime you depend on something to make you happy, you're making female hormones. Whenever you're depending on yourself to make you happy or to survive or to get by, you're making male hormones. Men, on the, men need 10 times more male hormones to be happy. Otherwise, they're irritable, passive, angry, irritable. You know, this is uh, the male challenge is feeling successful and confident, needed and trusted. We used to be the heroes, you know, and that would create functionality in a relationship because women needed us. They don't need us so much anymore. So that keeps her from being in touch with her femininity. So, but what I teach now and beyond Mars and Venus, and even in men are from Mars, the ideas were there, but they've grown more is when women are unhappy. Most of the time now in modern day, they're unhappy because they're too far on their male side. Their mm -hmm. hormones are out of balance. Yes. They need to come back to their female side. So if your hormones are out of balance, then you produce a stress hormone. When you produce a stress hormone, you have no control over your thoughts. You can't, you can't transform and thrive, as you say, in your talks. You have to lower the stress level first. Mm -hmm. What happens when your cortisol levels go up is blood flow stops going to both sides of the prefrontal cortex. And most of it goes back into the fight or flight response, fold and fake. So these are these responses that are conditioned into us from millions of years of conditioning, which shows up in childhood, how our parents responded, what our reactions are, what our DNA tells us to do. And this is what we're supposed to do as humans is become aware of the error, the, the, the humanity, the limitation of that conditioning of the past and change it. And that's what helps bring the divine into the world. That's what brings love into the world. 
So I would say to anybody, if you're not feeling happy and loved, your thinking is off. You need to find out where that thinking is that's causing you to not be in touch with your true self. Mm. And, and practice every day. You know, little things upset me. Here's an example of a little emotional intelligence. Uh, what would be something that's been upsetting me lately? Hard to find in my life, but let me just <laughs> find it. Uh, Really what it is, it's when I watch the news, I can, I can be upset because I, I see such foolishness, so much pain in people. So mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel frustrated and I feel angry that people are fighting right now. Mm -hmm. And then I feel so disappointed that my message hasn't gone out and had the effect I wish it could have. I feel disappointed that the thinking and the direction of what we're going into today is not working. I feel disappointed that, you know, here I am, trying to help all these marriages. And yes, I've done it with so many, but it's just a drop in the bucket. When I look at mm. twice as many people now are not getting married mm. because they can't make a marriage work. And, you know, that's my role. That's my goal. So I feel sad. And then I immediately, if I feel sad, then I go back to a time in my past where I was sad and I felt alone and powerless. And I just go back to that time. And then I look at what am I afraid of? You know, I'm afraid I'm not good enough, afraid I can't make a difference. I'm afraid I'm lost. I don't know what to do. How will I be a man? How will I be successful? Where's my father? You know, kind of feeling those feelings of a little child and then feeling bad about myself. I'm sorry, I'm not good enough. I want to please my parents and whatever. See, those are the that's the underworld of our emotions. And when you can go in there, you're increasing awareness, you're increasing consciousness of who you are. Instead of just thinking I'm mad about this war, <laughs> it's not, that's not all who I am. I'm a, it's triggers. If something triggers you and you can't just feel it and let it go, then it's something deeper. Now, so basically when I, when I looked at the war and everything, I didn't have any personal fears. I'm in America. I feel very safe. It's not going to affect me. The gas prices is up. I'm fairly well-to-do. Uh, that means nothing to me. You know, the people, the people that say on the news, they say, oh, it's good that the gas prices are going up. Then we'll all go to electric faster. You know, wait, wait a second, you know? And so anyway, I don't want to get too political here, but for me, gas prices are double. doesn't matter to me at all. So a lot, for a lot of people, they just think this is not a problem. Other people, you know, one of my, one of my friend's daughters, you know, she's pregnant with a child. I immediately felt compassion. And then I didn't feel sorry for her, but I felt her pain and thought, how can I help? And so, you know, I said, well, do you have someone helping you in your home? She says, no, I feel so isolated up there and in another country she's in and she didn't have a lot of friends. And, and so she feels very overwhelmed. And I said, well, do you have anybody helping you? She says, no, just my husband. He's gone most of the day. And I said, well, anybody help you clean the house? She's got a new baby. And she says, no, we can't afford it. So I'm, I'm her godfather. I said, okay, I'm sending you a check every month for $160 to have somebody come in and clean your house. So you don't have to do everything yourself. And $160 is nothing to me. Okay. And to her, she burst into tears. She couldn't believe it. Yes. So when people are more well-to-do, they don't understand that doubling your gas prices and paying twice as much for me is a huge huge things for people, but see, they live in their Eiffel towers. They don't feel the empathy. They can't feel it. Yeah. And I couldn't fully feel it until she expressed her disappointment and her sadness that she couldn't even keep the house clean. And then boom, once she felt her emotion, then immediately my compassion could come up. And yes, I offered some money. I didn't take responsibility for it. I didn't feel sorry for her. I felt actually kind of happy that she asked me as a godfather. That was about it. <laughs> well, I can help you with that. So that's where kindness comes in. I was talking to a man the other day and he saw some struggling 
16 graduates, but for some reason, because of COVID, they were so unhappy or whatever it was, and they were in their graduation outfits. So what he did is he told the waiter, you know, don't tell him it was me, but uh, sign the check. I want to pay for their meal. And so he hung around, he's eating, and they, they got that message. And suddenly they were just so light. They were so light and happy because somebody paid for their meal because it's more than just paying for the meal. It's feeling I'm not alone. Is that there's a there's an answer out there that I that that uh, it's not like I'm totally powerless. There's love. There's people that care about me. Just a little gesture like that. You know, for me, uh, I have a little thing I do that might you probably do it already, but some people don't. And that's, you know, I have these digital clocks in my house. And when I see a three, 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 I look at what am I thinking there? And it's literally my mind is looking for reassurance because I feel like I'm aligned with my purpose. The angels are with me. You know, and so I'll see it at 11, 11. It's so many times that I go to bed at, at, at 10, 01, or I'll go to bed at 11, uh, 11, and sometimes just 11, 00, 00. Those are like favorite numbers for me is ones. And particularly when it's 11, 01, I know I'm going to have a really good night's sleep because it builds to a three. And a three is my mat magic numerological number. It means fun something very important to me in life is have fun, enjoy my life. I am a bundle of joy almost all the time, unless I'm a bundle of suffering and pain, <laughs> which I do joyfully. Basically, I know the darker it gets, the deeper it goes, the more ecstasy I'll feel later, you know, and after my wife's death, I'll just give a little example of that. It's four years now, and it's still there. I go for a walk and I live in Mill Valley, California, and they have these redwood trees. And I go for the walk through the forest to a little waterfall. And the trees are so tall. And I go into a heightened state of ecstasy and meditation. And that's because I feel I can, I'm, I'm in touch with the little person inside of me, as well as the big giant tree. I'm both. What an amazing, it's an awe, it's an awful, <laughs> awe-inspiring mm. moment. And to be able to have that every day. It's shocking to me that it can last. It still is going on. I just take it all in and it's just so beautiful. It's a gift from my wife because she was always in awe of nature. She was more of the garden. She's a gardener and she loved trees. And now it's like her power came into me. I just love trees. You know, not everybody's going to love trees when they love their heart. But for me, the humility and the joy and the happiness of being little as well as being big at the same time, mm. being grounded and solid. And I can be very serious in terms of empathy and compassion and the suffering of the world, and also be light at the same time, knowing that everything's in, it's all the divine plan. We see the world going in the wrong direction. And thank goodness, we know when people go in the wrong direction, they suffer. And eventually, after they stop looking at all the blame, they're forced to look at what's my thinking, particularly when we have so many wonderful teachers in the world now sharing a little bit of light, showing how to think differently, how we can think differently. And when it comes, I know my mission and purpose is to understand the biggest problem in the world. And from my perspective, there's so many, right? But my perspective is mother and father are not loving each other. You see, when the mother and father are not loving each other, children cannot love themselves. Children who cannot love themselves cannot ex access the divine plan. They can't access who they're here. They're confused about who they are. And so they're easily offended by things. So now we have this culture that's offended by everything. Yeah. And they have a right to say things can be better, but not to be offended and angry about it and sad about it and unhappy about it. That doesn't do anything except perpetuate problems. It's an awareness with love that we can make this better. How can we make this better? If there's something inside of you that's mad or hateful, 
judgmental and critical, you're only creating the problem. You're not a solution to the problem. Don't you think we need um, even more than emotional intelligence, that we need spiritual intelligence? Yes, we need spiritual intelligence. We need gender intelligence. And gender intelligence creates the fastest solutions because we're so gender confused, okay? <laughs> we have to know how a man and a woman is different from each other. A lot of people, they're teaching over and over, we're the same, we're the same. No, the world is filled with diversity. Diversity means respecting differences. It's only by respecting differences that we can be inclusive. I'm all for inclusive, but not an inclusiveness that says everybody has to think and feel the same. That's not it. And so there's, there's the gender intelligence in my books. People change overnight many times with my books because it's just a correction of, oh, I didn't realize what was most important to her. And she goes, oh, I didn't realize. I thought I was doing something to make him feel better and actually it makes him feel worse. I misunderstood his behavior. He's just in his cave. It's not that he's mad at me or it's not that he's not going to come out of the cave. And how do I get him out of the cave? I don't know how to do that. If, if you're angry with him for being in his cave, he'll stay in his cave forever. Yeah. If you go out and be happy and then say, oh, you're back out of your cave, he, he's going to come out of the cave more often. So we can recondition each other. If my wife has a lot of complaints about me, if I just don't argue with her about it and just validate her complaint, the way you do that yeah. is not try to solve it even, not tell her what you're misunderstanding me. or That's, a, that's often what women now say is mansplaining. Okay, He's explaining why you're getting upset over nothing, even if She's getting upset over nothing. I will not say that. What I'll say is help me understand that better. And then I'll do validation. But I, can, I can't validate her, her thinking at that time. If she thinks I don't love her, I can't say, well, you're right about that. I don't love you. <laughs> but I can do. I say, I know when I said that, you must have felt really hurt. You must have felt really sad. You must have been disappointed. You must have been worried. You must be concerned. You must get angry at me. I can validate any emotion. And when I'm doing that, I'm going... I'm helping them to experience it's within them. And then what happens when you validate an emotion, you get connection. What women need more than anything to produce female hormones is to not feel alone, but to feel connection. What men need to feel in order to experience increasing testosterone is disconnection. It's up to me. I've got to do it myself. The pressure to do it myself produces testosterone. Now men don't have that pressure when their wives can make money. You know, and when they make equal money, she doesn't appreciate him for him making money. Mm -hmm. It used to be if a woman couldn't make money, oh, when he made money, if you got a guy who could pay the bills for you, it's like, hey, that sounds great. But once you got him paying, making the same amount of money and her making the same amount of money for her, there's no sense of he's doing anything for her because she's also doing it for him. Mm -hmm. So where, what do women need today? Well, when women become independent, there's a, you go to a higher level of consciousness. Maslow described that level as you, you start out with needing survival. Any couple, if they're hungry, just feed them and they'll be happy with you. They'll love you. <laughs> they're hungry, you know, protect a woman from danger. She won't have sex with you. You know, all the soldiers coming back, <laughs> we're like, hey, give them kisses and hugs and whatever later, you know, it's, it stimulates when you actually depend on a man for something and he delivers you make, uh, you produce a lot of estrogen, which makes women very happy and fulfilled if they're low in estrogen. And then at a certain point, when you've got the food and you've got the safety, that, then that doesn't do it for her as much. So a new need emerges, the need for freedom emerge. And now women have freedom, but what's the next need that comes up? 
the need for emotional fulfillment. That's why people, women will say, oh, I want a romantic partner. I want good communication. My mother didn't need any of that. She just needed a husband who wasn't angry all the time and husband who made good money and would punish the children if they needed to be punished. My God, she had her own policeman. What else do you need? You know, that's at a certain level of life. But once you get to that level, there's no big loving response. It's like not that significant. One comedian said, very funny, he said, you know, I'm so much happier than Bill Gates. <laughs> and he said, you want to know why? Because if I see a $20 bill and pick it up, I'm happy for a week. Are you kidding? 20 bucks. He sees $20 on the floor. He's not even going to bother picking it up. He doesn't need that. So it's when we have a need, when we feel a need and somebody can deliver for us, that produces the female hormone. Now, it's not that I, I like people to do things for me, but it produces the female hormone in me. So women that give a lot to men, those men have too much estrogen. They need to give more to her and they need to give more on their own for themselves too. So there's a balance here of whenever you're feeling independent, you're making your testosterone, male hormones primarily. And when you're uh, feeling dependent on someone, you're making female hormones and nature gave women the perfect balance of male and female hormones. And that's called nurturing. Mm. nurturing is where you're giving to somebody, but not to get anything you give to your children, not for money, but for love. When you can give because you love someone, you're making testosterone and estrogen at the same time. And what happens is, and that's to, that person has to depend on you and need you. So you give, and then because the child looks up to you and gives you unconditional love, so you're getting something you can't get anywhere else. So that gives you the estrogen. So now you can produce a lot of testosterone as well, because a mother is like a CEO of a house. It's not like women can't solve problems. This is one problem after another, after another, but they're not doing it as a sacrifice. They're doing it from a place of love because they feel I need love. And that child gives them so much love, but that's only one kind of love. See, we love comes in vitamins. Okay. It's like ice cream comes in different flavors. One is a woman needs unconditional love but she also needs conditional love. It's a healthy kind of conditional love. Often people think about conditional love as well. If you don't do that, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> okay, I get that. You know, because if I do a job, work world is very conditional. It's like, I do this job, but if you don't pay me, I'll smile and just go away. Some people want to fight a war with you. But for me, it's like, oh, you don't pay me. All right, I just won't come back to you. It's very practical. I do a job, I get paid for it. Yes. Now, a woman, when she's in, in, a, in a relationship, her love, if she's like that, where I'm giving to you, so you should give me back, that's an unhealthy conditional love. But a healthy conditional love, which is the romantic relationship, uh, the marriage relationship, that's a particular kind of love. For a woman, it looks best and healthy is when she feels you did something for me. So now I want to freely give something to you without expectation of more. For women, they need to feel that they're receiving so much from a man that they can freely give. And for a man, he needs to feel that she's not going to freely give me love. I have to earn it. See, men need to earn it. I need to do something. And then you appreciate it. You're a reactor, a responder. Your love is a reaction and a response. If you just love me for doing nothing, you're lo loving me like I'm a child. And I won't give you unconditional love. I'll become passive. I'll become feminine. I won't have motivation. That was the amazing Dr. John Gray with a wealth of information and wisdom. And do get his most recent book, 
beyond Mars and Venus as well. We need all the help we can get to create and enjoy healthy relationships and for all our interactions with others, both personal and professional. Also, join us in the powerful monthly sessions that I conduct live on Zoom, where I personally coach you and facilitate shifts for you. You'd also be given an amazing key to mastery that I call the Golden Globe to help you sustain these shifts and keep growing. Check out transformandthrive.club transformandthrive.club for more details and join us soon at the end of April. In the meantime, this is Helen Lee on the Transform and Thrive show. Much love to you. Wishing you endless possibilities of great joy and freedom, peace and abundance at all levels, especially at this time. Happy transforming and thriving. You have the power to do so masterfully and joyously. Thank you for joining me. Your presence is vital and very, very much appreciated. As always, bye for now.